If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is, we're getting there. We are, we are working our way through the book of Ephesians, um, even if we took a little bit of a break for Mother's Day. Uh, but we are working our way through, and if you've been following along and you've been keeping score at home, you note that the book of Ephesians is roughly divided into two parts. And this book is written into southwestern Asia Minor, the city of Turkey, or the city, the country of what is present-day Turkey, that southwestern corner, did I say eastern? Southwestern corner of Turkey. And the seven churches of the book of Revelation are probably the destination of this book. Those seven churches formed a circular trade route, and there is this idea that one one church would receive this letter, and then they would copy it and send it on to the next church so that the Apostle Paul would have his pastoral ministry, even though being in prison, he would still be able to have that ministry. And if you've been reading Ephesians along, you note that the first half of Ephesians is very different from the second half of Ephesians. And the first half is a lot of this idea about knowing and understanding. There's a lot of really profound, great theological truths in those first three chapters of Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul says, look, get this into your head, get this into your heart, get this into your soul, These, these ideas that you've been chosen, you've been adopted, you have an inheritance in Christ, you've been deeply, deeply loved from the foundations of the earth, that you've been redeemed with the blood of Jesus. You've been sealed by the Spirit of God. You hear we, we sang two songs this morning, which were very Trinitarian, right? That I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That even in that first chapter is that God has chosen, Jesus has redeemed, the Spirit has sealed you. I mean, we're not, it's not like we're, we're making up this Trinity thing. Like This is from the very beginning of the followers of Jesus, noting that, he, that we have this, this one God who is that we're, we're experiencing in many ways in these three persons. That there are riches of mercy, riches of grace. All of that is just chapter one. That's just chapter one. And then chapter two, salvation is by grace, through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And that God has prepared works for us. That there's hope and love and power. We talked about faith, hope, love, and power, that Pauline grouping, that that's the experience of faith, that we would all have an experience of those things, that you were far off and God didn't just call you to himself, he sent his son to you being far off. That's chapter two. And then in chapter three, that God is in the process of offering peace to those who are near and to those who are far off. I mean, what an amazing concept that God is a missionary God. He's going out. He will not be bound. He will not be contained. What was once a mystery has now been disclosed. God is bringing in outsiders. God is bringing in outsiders. And when you gather together in this weird mix, right, in this weird mix, this DMV of a church, right, that that's our goal. If we don't look like it, we want to look like it. That people of every ethnicity, of every tribe, tongue, nation, if you're like the DMV, if you don't like the DMV, you're not going to like heaven. Right? 
But this idea that when we gather together, that just the very act of our gathering is, a, is an ex- expression to the forces of darkness in this world that Jesus will win. That they cannot divide, that he can hold together anything that they think they can divide. Just the very fact of gathering. And that's chapter 3. I mean, we're only halfway through the book, right? That, it's so good. And then the second half, if the first half is, Paul says, look, get these things deep into your soul, deep into who you are. Because like in Romans 12, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you can get these things into your mind, then the second half of the book, let's walk it out. Walk it off, everybody. You got a sprained ankle, you got a problem, you got something something going wrong in your life, it's time to walk. Walk it off. We're going to walk, we're going to walk in a manner worthy. So the first half was primarily about knowing and understanding, and now we're in the second half. The second half is primarily about walking. And the Apostle Paul will say, in a number, he talks about walking in a manner worthy in 4.1. He says, don't walk any longer as you did when you were the Gentiles in 4.17. He says to walk in love. At one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And walking, as we have talked about so far, this metaphorical reference particularly to the Jewish way of thinking about how one lives their life. They walk, and people walk on paths, and in the Jewish tradition, there's two paths. There's the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked, and this question about which path are you on? How are you walking? And the second half of the book is really asking this question, how are you walking? And this rich, this image is rich with significance, which we noted This question of which path are you on? What's the speed of that path? Is has that speed compared to the speed of our world? How is progress made? I was just noting, like, uh, as as I we we go out and we hike, we either do what is called um, anybody all trails, the app all trails. Anybody? I love all trails. My, uh, but they they describe every hike you do as either an out and back where you go out on one route and you come back on that same route, or it's a loop. You go out, and you kind of do a loop. But in this, in this sense, in, the, in w- what Paul's talking about, Paul's not talking about an out and back or a loop where you just get back to the same place. He's talking about a journey where you're just walking, and you end up in a place where you did not think you were going to be at in the morning. And you walk long enough, and you end, up in, you end up as a new person. You end up making progress, slow and steady. And so this, this whole idea of walking is just rich with this, with, with, the, with the significance, like who are you walking with? What's the pace of your walking? How is progress made? It's a beautiful image. And it's, it's millennia old, and we are, we're here, and we're, we are thinking about the sort of things that not only Jesus thought about, but the, the Jewish rabbis long before him talked about a life of faith in God looks like this. And we're joining in on that very ancient enterprise of asking this question, how am I walking? I have this stuff in my head. I have this stuff in my heart. I'm trying to get this stuff into my soul. And now, how am I living it out? How am I walking? And today, in our passage, it's the last reference to walking. So a little bit of sadness on my part. The last reference to walking. 
um, which means you don't have to hear me talking about all this anymore, but I mean, we'll talk about how to live a good life and, and whatnot, but all right, you get the idea. Okay, today's our last passage, so 5.15. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Ephesians 5.15. And Ephesians 5.15 says this. It starts by saying, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Okay, so this passage, we're going to go to verse 20, and this passage is divided into three, three parts, three movements. Um, three times Paul is going to say, not this, but this. Not this, but this. And those, those things are this. He goes, don't walk, don't be unwise, but be wise. And then he'll offer some explanation about what that means. He says, don't be foolish, not foolish, but understanding the will of the Lord. And then he'll say, not drunk on wine, but filled with the Spirit. Those are the three, those are the three, not this, but this. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk, I want to take those first two and put them together and talk about the wise and the foolish in terms of walking and how that works. And then I want to talk about this idea of being filled with the Spirit. I know nobody has any questions about that, and that's not a controversial topic at all, but the idea about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, at least according to this passage and what this looks like, all right? You guys with me? So we're going to do not this, but this, and we're going to walk through, really, there's, there, we're going to look at two of those things, and then we're going to work through what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit, all right? So here's the first one. So look at 515. Look at 515. So I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be wise and then what it means to be filled with the Spirit. 5.15. So it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right, so let's talk a little bit about wisdom. Okay, when, it, when Paul is talking about being wise, he is Jewish, and there's, there, in, the, in the Hebrew mind, is a little different than the Greek mind. The Greek mind, when you talk about wisdom, you hear about wisdom in the Greek thinkers or philosophers, it's a lot about theoretical knowledge. You think about Socrates, and he's like, well, am I in a cave? Is there a shadow in the cave? Like, is anybody with me on this? Like, okay, you, you get this idea that it, it's this very theoretical knowledge and just thinking like hypotheticals and things like that. In the Jewish mind, it's not about hypotheticals. It's not about up in the mind. It's all about living. Wisdom is about living. Wisdom is more akin in the, in the Jewish mind, and what Paul's talking about, walking wise, is about, wisdom is about skill. Wisdom is about skill. We can think about knowledge, knowledge about stuff in your mind, but wisdom is about how you walk with that stuff in your mind. It's about skill. More particularly, in the Jewish tradition, wisdom is about the skill of living. Have you ever thought about that, that living takes skill? And you look, at, you look at people around and you're like, and, and sometimes you can see it pretty clearly, like, yeah, that person is not skilled in living. Like that person trying to cross the freeway, on foot, not skilled, not wise, not skilled in living. 
And there are other people you look at and you're like, you're like hey, those, those people are winning life. And it's not because they're necessarily like successful or they have a lot of money, but all the things that it takes for human thriving, you look at people and you're like, no, that person is able to do that. Like that person kind of has their stuff together. They know what to do in various situations. I can count on them. So what Paul is talking about, you know, I don't want you to live unwise or unskilled in living. I want you to be skilled in living. I want you to be wise. And this idea, again, uh, this idea of living, the skill of living in a world, in the world as God has intended it. Because there's, there's also this, like we've talked about, that we're not just in a world as God intends it, are we? We're in a world, and Paul's going to make this point, has made the point, will make it later again, is that we live in this world that has this interlocking directorate of dark forces. The fallenness of the world, we've got, we've got evil spirits, the devil and Satan. We have, we have our own fallenness. We have the sons of disobedience out and around that the world we live in is not the intended world. And that there, there's a certain skill that it takes or that that world says that you need to have in this world. But there's the skill that God says, no, 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 no. In my world, in real human thriving, you need to master skills. In the same way that you probably, you, you have jobs, you have careers, you're in industries. That there are certain ways and rhythms of how an industry works. You, like if you're a farmer, you know that there's a time to plant and there's a time to harvest. In whatever industry you might be in, there's certain seasons of it. And it takes a certain skill to get that down when to have strategic conversations, when to, when to, when to market, when to uh, kind of pull the trigger. What are the rhythms of all that? That's a skill that you learn. Think about your own job and how you have learned the skills of your job. Wisdom, when Paul says wisdom, he's playing on this, this, this millennia of talk about, from the rabbis about what does it mean to live in a manner of wisdom, to walk, to learn those skills. So Paul says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, this, wise, this idea, look carefully. And it, it says, in, in Greek, it says, watch out carefully, watch out carefully. The NIV, I think, translates this really well. It says, pay attention to how you walk, pay attention to how you walk walk. So I think it might be a little difficult for us. We, we, at least for me, I think when I first became a Christian, I was like, look, just tell me what I need to do and not do. Like, give me the rules of this thing. Give me the rules. Like, give me the law. That was, I mean, essentially, that's what I was like, tell me what to do and what not to do. And a lot of times when we think about our faith in Jesus, it's about, well, what do I do? Give me the boxes to check off. And I think the thing about wisdom and skill, a lot like how you might think about your own job, it's not really about this checking off of boxes, that wisdom is really this area that you might have laws like what is, what is legal and what is illegal, okay, I get that, that's not the realm of wisdom. Not even what is moral or immoral, that's not the realm of wisdom. It's about all those areas in between. Like there's a hundred ways to live in this world. There's a thousand ways to live in this world. There's a million ways to live in this world. Which of these are wise ways? It's not a matter of being, a matter of being right and wrong. It's about being effective in living. And he says this, I want you to just pay attention to how you're doing in this. 
Are you, do, are you going about this in a skilled way? Are you going about this in a way that you're on a journey and you're getting a little better at it as you move along? Do you feel like you've made some progress, even not just in your faith in Jesus, but just in the skills of being on this earth? That's what Paul is asking. I love what one scholar says about wisdom. He says, there are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophets. In other words, in the Old Testament tradition, you've got the law, which is all these details about how to obey Jesus, how to obey God, and then you've got the prophets that are, that are like, we want justice. But he says, there's also this bit of, of literature in the Old Testament that's wisdom literature, and it slips through the details of the law, and it's under all these broad things, and it's just talking about the little intricacies of how your character is formed. It's not about right and wrong, it's about how you are coming to be in this world. Watch how you're doing that. Pay attention. Pay attention to how you're doing this. And he says, he says this. So watch how you walk, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And this reads, um, if you've heard the phrase redeeming the time, this is where it comes from. In this passage, it, it literally says, um, watch how you walk, redeeming the time. And it doesn't mean you're buying back time or you're, you're buying extra time. I suppose that would be nice if I come to faith in Jesus. I know I can tack on a couple extra years of my life. That'd be awesome. I mean, maybe that's true. I don't know if that's exactly true, but I, and I'm not making promises here. It's not like, okay, we're going we're gonna to heal people. This is not prosperity. Okay, you guys with me? I'm just, these are the jokes over time. Just get used to them, okay? Uh, but it says this idea is about um, making the most out of the time you have because the days are evil. So I just downloaded an app. I don't know if you guys heard this app. I really like apps that help um, my life, that make it better, like I talked about all trails and whatnot. Um, but I, I just downloaded this app. It's called We Croak. Has anybody heard of this app? So what this app is, you download it onto your phone, and basically five times a day, it gives you a, it sends you a notification. And the notification says this, everyone's the same, and the notification says this, reminder, you're going to die. You're like, what are you doing with your free time, Pastor Craig? Okay, look, here, here's the thing. This was great, I mean, but the idea, that there's a reminder, look, you're gonna die, what are you doing? Or maybe you're entering into a hard situation. Like, right before I got up to preach, you know what I got on my phone? Hey, just a reminder, you're going to die. A <laughs> little bit of the stress, like, it's like, hey, this is not, if this goes bad, it's not the worst thing that can happen, right? There's something about, there's something about the contemplating of our finiteness. And what Paul is saying here is like, look, pay attention how you're walking. Make the most of every opportunity. The days are evil. They're fleeting. And not only are they fleeting, but they're characterized by this, this web of dark forces that are trying to ensnare you. You're going to die. Now, I don't know if you need to download that app or not, okay? I'm just saying for me, I was like, I'm just going to try this out and see how it works. So far, it's been really interesting because at various points of the day, no matter what I'm doing, I'm like, I'm like did I get a text? No, I've just been reminded that I'm going to die. Make the most of your time. Make the most 
of your time. All right, don't know if that's going to work out or not, but um, there are some traditions that say contemplating death is a helpful thing, and I think up to this point, it's been somewhat helpful. Um, I think one way we think about redeeming the time, redeeming the time, is simply this idea, or skillful living, is to think about three categories in your life. If you want to think about living skillfully, I think that there's three categories that you should spend some time thinking about. And these, it, it's your time, your energy, and your attention. Your time, your energy, and your attention. Just three questions. What are you spending your time on? How much time of your day is going to what? A good exercise? Remember in college, I was in a class, and it was like, just pay attention... Write down what every minute or every hour of your day, what are you spending time on? And then put it all in a pie chart, right? It's hard to do because you can't, like sometimes you, as a, as a youth pastor, I was like telling my, my youth to say, hey, look at your life. How much time are you spending on God? It's like you can't really put that in a pie chart. Like God can be part of everything that you're doing, right? But this question, like how are you spending your time? And then also to note about energy, that not every hour of the day is the same, is it? Like at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., I'm a little groggy. 8 o'clock at night, I start getting groggy again. Those are not my peak hours, right? Those hours are not as important as, say, 7 to noon, right? Like those hours are peak. If you want to think about your attention even scientifically, like, where are your peak hours? And of course, after lunch, you got your post-lunch dip, not as significant. And then maybe you pick it back up in the afternoon, but it might not be as peak as it was in the morning. Like, pay attention. Paul is saying, look, if you want to be wise, I want you to walk in a manner worthy, and I want you to walk not as unwise, but as wise. Pay attention. What are you spending your time on? What are you spending your peak hours on? And I would, have, I would just say this, God has put God-honoring work in front of you. God has put God-honoring work in front of you. Are you spending that time, your peak time, on that? And of course, probably if you're, if you're further along in life, you might have learned this lesson before. For me, I had to, when I was in college, I was like, my peak hours, I'm like, I'm doing whatever I want to do. Well, you know, like, I don't know what I'm doing. But later on, I, I, particularly after I got married, and I was like, look, I can't just, I, I'm, I have, I'm sharing my life with Kelly, and like, I need to make sure that my time with her is significant and that I'm not distracted or not. Again, back to the idea of attention as well. Time, energy, and attention. What are you putting in front of your eyes? Or, to put it another way, what are you allowing to be put in front of your eyes? We're, we're in a world where we don't actually have total control of what gets thrown at us. I mean, we, we do have, we actually do have a quite a bit of control, more control than we think, and I think what Paul is saying here is, look, just be wise. Learn some skills. How are you doing with your time, with your energy, and with your attention? Those are the questions of wisdom. Those are the questions of wisdom. All right, because the days are evil. The days are evil, so make the best use of your time. All right. All right, he goes on to say, um, I will go, we'll, we'll pass that one. He goes on, he continues by reflecting on what is the controlling agent of the believer's life. So he talks about pay attention how you walk, don't walk as unwise but as wise, and the idea that the Lord has an opinion about this, that there's a will, that God has a will. Know what that will is, especially as you are talking about your time, energy, attention. God has a will about that stuff. He has an opinion about the matter. 
Do you know what his opinion is? I know it sounds weird to talk about God having an opinion, but I think that's a little more accessible to us. There are some things that he's like, this is right, this is wrong, and then he's like, hey, here's a range of options, everybody. God might have an opinion about where you're at in that range, but pay attention to that. All right. He continues by reflecting on then what is the controlling agent. Look at 5.18. 5.18. He says, And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So as we talked about this framework of not this, but that, first is not foolish, but wise, and then not drunk, but filled. Not drunk, but filled. Now, drunkenness in the ancient world was a real problem. Drunkenness was a real problem, and people would write about the dangers of too much wine, too much beer, whatever it was. Um, In our world today, drunkenness is still a problem, and um, the production of alcohol, science has made the production of alcohol to be much more potent than it was in the ancient world. The, the idea of fermentation, they knew about fermentation, and they knew about how, how to do these things. They didn't know as much about distilling, but in, for science and the scientific uh, understanding, you can figure out how do we distill liquor and how do we make these things very potent? How do we make them in large quantities? Um, But technology has made fermentation, brewing, and distillation more exact, and alcohol is much more potent. And it's interesting that Paul uses the image of drunk. He says, not this, but that. We get not foolish, but wise. But why does he do not drunk, but filled with the Spirit? Like, what's that all about? Why does he go that direction? And it probably is to do with this idea of control. That when you are filled with wine and you drink a lot of wine, by the way, I would, I would say this too, I don't think the Bible says that um, consuming alcohol is a sin. I don't think that's, and even that, I, I think this is in the area of wisdom. This goes back again, back for, away from law to this area of wisdom. Um, but it's, it is clear that drunkenness is a sin, getting drunk whether it's on wine or beer or, or distilled spirits or whatever it is, that is, that drunkenness was a problem then, it is a problem today, but this is about control. That being filled with alcohol means altering the mood, diminishing the skills, and being controlled by alcohol or by wine in this case. That when he then contrasts that with being filled with the Spirit, I think by implication, it has this idea that being filled with the Spirit means being filled with God. There's other places in in the book where it talks about being filled with the fullness of God, being filled with the fullness of Christ. And here we're we're talking about being filled with the Spirit. Again, back to our Trinitarian understanding that if you're filled with God, you're filled with the Spirit. And this idea of being filled with the Spirit means having the sensibilities of God, being augmented in your senses. The Spirit is the agent of spiritual gifting, skills, refining those skills, being enlivened by the Spirit, not depressed by alcohol, but enlivened by the Spirit. I don't think it means that being filled with the Spirit means you look like you're drunk. I, think, I don't think that's the point. I think it means that you look exactly the opposite of being 
drunk, that you are controlled, that you are skilled in your living. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be filled with wine. Don't be controlled by wine. Rather, be controlled, be filled by the Spirit. And what Paul will then do is he'll give four ways in this passage that someone is filled with the Spirit, kind of the marks of being filled with the Spirit. And that means that you slap someone on the forehead and they're healed and you're filled with the Spirit. I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not, that's not in the passage. I'm making that up. Okay. But the idea, you're, th- these are the marks. You guys ready for the marks? That there's, these are the marks, okay? Here it is. The first thing about being filled with the Spirit is speaking. Look at 519. After what, he's, what he says is that be, the command, don't be, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit, that's an imperative. And then he gives, he gives really he gives five participles, which mean four things. These participles. And the first thing is speaking. The ESV says addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The first thing about someone who is filled with the Spirit, what Paul says, controlled by the Spirit, is that they will speak. And they'll actually speak to other people. And the content of what they speak to other people will be in part Scripture, the Psalms, in part teaching, the hymns, and in part spiritual songs, these songs that are sung. So the idea of the Psalms in every occasion, the Psalms are great. We talked about a few summers ago, we, did, we, t- we went through the Psalms, we noted that Psalms are this crazy mix of every moment in your life, happy, sad, um, uh, or bored. The Psalms have it all. If you feel oriented towards God, Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who walks in the counsel, doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the, the law of the Lord, right? That it's very oriented. But you also have this like Psalm 88, which is like, I'm in the bottom of the pit and I'm not oriented. I'm totally disoriented. I don't know what's going on. And then you have these coming out of the pit, like you turn my morning into dancing and it's a celebration. And the Psalms are this, this, this scope of, of human experience. And Paul says, you know what you need to do? If you're spill, filled with the Spirit, whatever place someone is at in their life, you might be able to say something to them from the Psalms. Speak to one another with psalms. Speak to one another. People are going to be in places where they are, they are mourning their sin. And you might go to Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. Or they might be in a place where they, they feel great joy. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Speak to one another using the psalms. This summer we're going to use these verses, this verse from Ephesians as well as Colossians, which talks about speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and we're going to use the summer and, uh, and talk about the songs of the summer and go through, again, a, a foray into the psalms, as well as hymns. And this is the other thing. When Paul talks about hymns, he's not talking about amazing grace, as much as I know we, I would love it if he was, but what he's talking about in the New Testament, hymns are more often talking about Jesus. So like Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that what's called the Christ hymn, which talks about Jesus who not being in the very, who had the very form of God, did not regard equality with God, something to be held on to. This is all in poetic form, and it gives this hymn to Christ. And it teaches about who Jesus is. So when Paul is saying, speak to one another, 
in hymns, he's talking about tell people about, teach others, each other about Jesus. Colossians 1 is another example. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is another Christ hymn. You look in the book of Revelation, there's a number of hymns that are in the book of Revelation, and they're all talking about Jesus. So, speak to one another using the Psalms. Speak to one another teaching them using hymns about Jesus. And then also speak to one another using songs. The songs you sing. The songs that get stuck in your head. Speak to one another using those things. So the first thing about being filled with the Spirit is speaking. Speak to one another. And anytime you, anytime you use a passage to encourage somebody, that, that would be something of the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Not saying that every time you do that, that you are filled with the Spirit, but to say that those who are filled with the Spirit do encourage people that way. So, teaching one another, and in the book of Colossians it says, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, this idea that you are speaking to one another, and that's the first part, the first note of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. The second thing is this. Look at 519. When it comes to being filled with the Spirit, the second thing is this. There will be singing. Ephesians 519 says, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Now, I have to be careful here because um, Mostly because I don't have a great voice. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I have to be careful here because I, I don't want to overlay my own experience of coming to faith in Jesus on this passage and say, this is what everybody should experience because different people experience these, these things differently. But I will say this. So I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. I've told this story before. I heard the, heard the gospel for the first time at a Christian rock concert, which was great um, at the time. By the way, have you guys seen... Um, on Netflix, they have a, a, the, this documentary called um, Jesus Music. You have to see it. You have to watch it. Because the birth of really um, Jesus music or contemporary Christian music um, happened really right here in Orange County. So uh, anyway, you got to watch it. I'm just, uh, I'm just saying. You don't have to watch it. I'm just, again, I don't want to overlay my own experience onto you people. But to say this, that one of the things about, for me, when I came to faith, one of the things that I started to do, because I was in the Roman Catholic Church where this is how you sang. Uh, you kind of moved your lips and made it look like you were singing. And you just, it was kind of like nobody really sang with conviction. Or, and then I went to this, this, this church, this Baptist church, and where in youth group, like people are singing out with conviction. And what I found is that for me, one of the first things, one of the first things that changed about me when I came to faith, is I just started singing. It's not like Elf. I'm not, you guys are thinking like, this is like the movie Elf. I'm in, I'm singing, I'm in, you know, I'm in a store, and I'm singing. No, that's not what's happening, okay? But in some ways, in some ways, one of the first things that happened to me was, look, I just, I just said, I'm gonna sing. And I, I really wonder what I sounded like back in those early days. But the thing is, I don't care. And nobody else did either. 
Because it was, a, it was a community that valued song, that valued raising their voice to the Lord, that valued that, that sang with, at the top of their lungs as loud as they could. And again, I don't know what your experience has been, for, but for me, it was one of the very first things that changed about my life. I just started singing out loud. I learned songs. I learned hymns. As a 14-year-old kid, I'm learning hymns, I'm learning songs. I got the Maranatha praise book. Like, I'm, <laughs> right? I'm like, I, I learned to play the guitar. Like all of our, in our youth group, the guitar players, they, they moved on and graduated. And I'm like, I'll learn to play guitar. I was horrible. I think back on the first week that I did it, I was like, Father, I adore you. Like that was it. It was bad. It was bad. But as I practiced, it was like walking. I got better and better and better. But it was, it was one of the most central things about my faith in Jesus was music and singing. And I'm not, look, this is not, I'm not saying that if you're singing, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But I am saying people who are filled with the Spirit sing. Now, that might look different for everybody, but I would just say this. Singing is part of having an experience in Christ. And it talks about singing out loud, but also making melody. Like, this is the other thing, man. I don't know what it is, and even today, I, I'll be in the kitchen. I just always kind of have a song to sing. It's always a song in my heart. And we joke like, oh, they, that guy's got a song in his heart today. Like, and I just, even if it doesn't sound good, I'll, I just sing. Like, I'll do it. And I, there's a point where I'm like, I don't care anymore. I just don't care what I sound like. And you're like, I, we realize that, Pastor Craig. Um, but look, it's just, there's something about song and walking with Jesus. And I would just say this, if you're like, look, I need to grow in that area. If you're like, I need to grow in that area, awesome. Like, here's, this is what I would say. Download Spotify. This is like apps, the app Sunday. Download Spotify on your phone and type in Taft Ave tunes. All the songs that we sing on Sunday morning are all there. And you can just listen. If you don't know the words, you can listen. Spotify's an app. You go, so ask your kids or grandkids. They'll tell you. Um, but anyway, look, just subscribe. Anyway, I, again, I don't want to overlay my own experience on this, but for me, it's been so significant to me. And there wasn't, you know, like, I can't get up here and, like, play the guitar and then put it down and then preach a sermon. Like, you know, there's a point where I was like, look, I'm not, you're not going to be, you know, uh, you're not going to be a rock star, Craig, so put it down. Like, your camp experience. But what was awesome is that when we had Children's House Chapel in here a couple weeks ago, like, I played the guitar and did a couple of Wagon Train songs. It was awesome. I had a great time. Like, this is, it's one of the fun parts about, like, I want these kids, I want, I want preschoolers from the very earliest memories to think this is a place where we sing, in this room, we lift up our voices. What else do we lift up our voices for in this world? You see people lifting up their voice. You think about people angry and shouting out. You think about, like, we want to sing out. All right, enough about this. Because there's more about being filled with the Spirit. First is speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The second is singing. The third way to see a life controlled by the Spirit is giving thanks. Look at 520. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
giving thanks. I, look, we, we've talked a little bit about this. Gratitude is the fuel on which the Christian life is lived. You might think because, look, I can get people to do what I want them to do if I manipulate them and guilt them into something. Like guilt is a great motivator. I got news for you. God is not in the business of motivating you with guilt. Otherwise, he'd just put this carrot in front of you and be like, hey, if you want to be saved, you better do this, you better do this. You better. He doesn't do that. He just says, look, I'm going to embrace you. I love you. I know who you are. I know you're horrible. I'm just going to embrace you and love you. I'm just going to pull you in as tight as I can and just let you know how so valuable you are to me, how much I love you, how much I would set, I love you so much that I would send my son for you. I would seal you with my Holy Spirit, and my spirit is going to be grieved inside of you because sometimes you blow it, but I love you. I want you to know that I'm never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. And then what happens in us is gratitude. And the Christian life is lived on the fuel of gratitude. People who are filled with the Spirit are not guilt-ridden, they are grateful. And the works that God puts in front of them, people are, they would say, look, I'm so happy to do that, I'm so grateful. Speak to one another. Sing. And give thanks. And not just, not, he says give thanks for everything. And there's a little bit of hyperbole in this because there are events in our lives that we don't give thanks for, we grieve events. But we give thanks that God can redeem the evil. We give thanks that God can take any event, any grievous event, and make something beautiful out of it. God is able to redeem. And so we give thanks. And then finally, a final mark, a fourth mark, is in 521. It says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The final mark of being filled with the Spirit in this passage is the posture of mutual submission. It's the idea that in um, Philippians chapter 2, it talks about um, consider others as more important than yourselves. That's what mutual submission means. That even if God places someone in a position of authority, it's a, po- it's a position of authority, but it's a posture of service. Mutual submission. And we're going to have, a, we're in a, for a couple weeks, we're going to be talking about what it looks like. Because Paul will say, well, what does this look like in a marriage? What does this look like in work? What does this look like in parenting? It's mutual submission. In a, in a world that is characterized by dominance and servitude, it's about mutual submission. And people who are filled by the Spirit will experience mutual submission. So those four things, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, uh, giving thanks in all circumstances, and this idea of submitting to one another. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And of course, it's in this passage, there's more to be said about the Spirit, but this is one of the ways we can do this. As we finish up, we've talk, I, there's a lot of things, and we've talked about a number of things, but I suppose as, we, as we've been working through this passage, to just pause for a second and just reflect like, okay, as we've been going through this passage, what have been the things that have come up? And I suppose if we are on a journey and we are walking and we're paying attention to how we're walking, where we're walking, who we're walking with, 
that as we're, as we're thinking about how do we live, how do I live this out? To ask this question, like, what's standing out to, uh, to you? Like, what area do you feel like you need to give some attention to? Time, energy, and attention. Like, where are some areas that you feel like you might give attention to this week? Maybe it is about your time. Where am I spending my time? Maybe I just want to do a survey of where I'm spending my time. Or maybe I want to have a little survey of what, is my, what am I putting my attention on? What am I putting before my face? What am I looking at? What am I listening to? Maybe I want to just ask the question like, when do I feel most energetic in the day so that I can put the most important thing in that slot? I think that's a, that's a significant bit of reflection. And maybe this week you want to pay attention to time, energy, and attention. Or maybe as we've been working through this, you're thinking about, boy, I've never really thought about what it means to be filled by the Spirit, but I know what these, I know what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And what, what this passage talks about, like maybe this week you want to think about, like what is something I'm learning that I could encourage somebody with? A psalm that I might be able to share. Something about Jesus that I might be able to share, speaking to one another. Or maybe you're like, look, I'm downloading Spotify. I'm singing. I don't know how to sing. I'm going to learn how to sing. And I don't really care what I sound like because I just want to sing. And I want this church, I want this church to be a place where anybody who comes in these doors is like, I will, this is a place where we sing. You don't have to sound great. All you have to do is sing it out. That's what I want. And I think that's what the Lord wants too. I hope. Maybe this week you just want to pay attention to giving thanks. You just want to think about gratitude. Like maybe you're just like, look, I have been, I've been in a bad mood. I'm just talking about me, okay? I'm not talking about anybody in here. Like I've been in a bad mood. I'm thinking, I'm just stressed. I'm anxious. Look, I want to give thanks. I want to make a list of some things that I'm thankful for. I want to, I, I mean, I, I want to make, I want to make sure that I know that I have not gotten to where I am on my own. God has walked with me every step of the way. And I want to make sure that I give thanks. Or maybe this, last, this next week you just are like, look, I want to I consider other people more important than myself. I've been very self-focused lately. I don't, again, I'm just talking about me. Maybe this is you too. I've just been really focused on me. I want to focus on some other people. I don't know what it is, but as we kind of come to the end of this time, I just want, I want you to reflect, even as we sing this last song, to reflect, like, where is, where is the Lord moving me this week based on this passage? So let's pray together. Father, we invite you. We invite you to do your work in us. We recognize the presence of your Holy Spirit here right now. Holy Spirit, you've sealed each person here that's put their faith in Jesus. You've sealed them so that God, the Father, you can lay claim to each life here. We pray, Spirit, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we might comprehend the love with which we are loved, and also the areas that we can pay some attention to in our own lives. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for this opportunity to sing, to sing. And we pray, Father, even as we leave here today, 
that you would just put a song in our heart by means of your Holy Spirit. We ask that your Spirit would work on us through this week and that we might be filled with the fullness of your Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.